So how many of you like new things? Raise your hand if you like new things. I think we all like new things. Most of us like new things. Marketers have figured out that we like new things. Have you noticed that? You go through the aisles of your grocery store, you'll see all kinds of labels that say new or new and improved. There are new flavors, new scents. Uh, For the most part, we crave new and improved. Apple knows this, right? Did you watch the uh, Apple new products release this week? I know thousands and thousands and thousands of people did. Um, Think about that. People spend two hours voluntarily watching a commercial to see what their next phone might look like. It's incredible. It's genius. Uh, We like new things. I mean, think about this. If you had the choice between your current car, uh, maybe it's dripping a little oil, a little rust starting to show around the rocker panels, uh, maybe doesn't start on the first time every time anymore, and doesn't really have that new car smell anymore, uh, maybe it's more like middle school football team smell. You know what I'm talking about? Uh, if you've got that car, or you could have the same model, same make, but the new version right off the lot. How many of you would choose new? Yeah, most people, I think, are going to choose new. Uh, what about this? How about your clothes? If you look in your, open up your closet and you see uh, your clothing selection that's in there, maybe you got that you know, fringe leather vest left over from Woodstock, uh, those culottes that have served you so well over the years. Or you could trade those for the fa- your favorite clothes from your favorite clothing store. Most of us would pick new, right? We love new things. What about parents? What about your kids? If you could keep your kids or trade them in for the... For the new version of the same kids, how many would choose new? No, I'm just kidding. Usually. Um, The point is this. Most of us love new, right? We love getting something new. We love experiencing something new. We love tasting something new. We love hearing a new song. Even those of you who love old stuff. I know that there are some people in this room who like antiques. If you like antiques, you love antiques, you love old stuff, but you like new old things, right? You like things that are new to you. Uh, So we all like new, and new is so ingrained in our character that when we see someone, especially somebody we haven't seen in a while, we'll often ask, what's new with you? We want to know what's new, what's going on. You know what I think? I think we get our love for new from our creator, that we serve a God who is creative, and he is all about new. He's about new life, new mission, new focus. In heaven, the author of Revelation tells us this. He says, he who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. To those who who are victorious will inherit all this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. God says he is going to give us all new things in heaven. In heaven, we will never be bored because God is constantly making everything new. Every meal you sit down to will be something new that you've never tried before. Every song that you hear, every song that you sing uh, before the throne will be a brand new song that you've never heard before yet, but somehow you'll know all the words. Isn't that incredible? God is making all things new. It's like you'll be in a new place every day, and even when you've been there for 10,000 years, everything will still be brand new. That's what we have to look forward to as followers of Jesus. But it's not just in the world to come that God makes all things new. In fact, in Isaiah 43, God is speaking to the nation of Israel, and he tells them, forget the former things, do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. And these, these words were spoken to people who knew what it was like to be in the wilderness. They knew their lives were a wasteland. 
Uh, the people of Israel had been taken captive by Babylon. And the Lord had allowed this because of Israel's sin and rebellion against him. But God says, see, I'm going to do a new thing in you. I'm going to bring a stream through the desert. And so even if you're in a place in your life right now where you feel like I'm in the wilderness, I mean, my life is a wasteland. You can have hope. You can have that assurance that God wants to do something new in you. He says, you can't change your past, but don't dwell on it because I'm going to do something new in you. And ultimately, that new thing, that new thing for Israel was realized was in Jesus Christ, who came and offered new birth and new life. He modeled for us a new way to live and, and a new way to love. And God is all about new. So what's new with you? Are you embracing all the newness that God has for your life? I'm not talking about new stuff, all right? I'm not talking about filling your closet or filling your garage with new stuff, empty things. But I'm talking about the newness of life that God wants to bring about in you. Because part of being a disciple is understanding that we don't stay the same. We can't encounter Jesus and have a real-life encounter with him and be the same person that we were before. Jesus is always making things new, and we're always moving more into the life of Christ. We're, we're learning to walk as Jesus walked. If we're not being made new, we're just stagnant. We're just, we're just staying still, and that's not what God wants for us. And so to really unpack this idea of God being about new things, I'm going to use something that might be old to some of you already. I want to talk about the four chairs. Uh, this, is, this comes from a book by a guy named Dan Spader. He's a, a mentor of ours, a few of us on staff. Uh, it's called Four Chair Discipling. And you've probably seen it before if you've been at Genesis for any period of time. But when we talk about being a disciple and making disciples, disciples, we look to Jesus as our model. So Jesus is our model for life. There's no doubt about that. Uh, but he's also our model for how to make disciples. And it's really easy to look past this if you don't really study the life and ministry of Jesus. But when you look at how Jesus lived his life, if you read through his life chronologically, what you'll find is that he had a brilliant, brilliant and intentional strategy for how to make disciples. And we like to explain this strategy using the four challenges that Jesus gave to his followers uh, over the time of his life. And we use those four challenges. Each one of those challenges is a chair. So four challenges is four chairs. Now, some of you could probably teach this. You've heard it a few times. Uh, but I know it's new for some of you. And so I just want to review. So chair one uh, represents the very first challenge Jesus gave to his disciples in John chapter one. Uh, John the Baptist is a guy who's been baptizing people in the wilderness. Uh, he's got a group of disciples around him. But when he sees Jesus walk by at the very beginning of Jesus's ministry, he says, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So Jesus has all, or John the Baptist has all these followers. And he says, basically, don't follow me. Follow that guy. Follow Jesus. And so... Uh, this happens in John 1, 39, and this is the first challenge that uh, Jesus gives them. That first challenge is come and see. And so chair one, the challenge is come and see. Basically, Jesus invited Andrew and John, who were two of John the Baptist's followers, to come and spend the day with him. Uh, Jesus knew they had questions, and he knew that Andrew and John were interested in spiritual things. And so by inviting him, them to come and see, Jesus was inviting them to come and spend time with him. Now, we call chair one people, we would call a chair one person a seeker. Right? And we all have uh, chair one people in our life. We have seekers in our lives. Uh, these are people who are interested in spiritual things, but they're not yet following Jesus. The Bible often refers to people in chair one as lost. Uh, we might say that a chair one person is not a believer. We've got chair one people in our church, um, especially on a day like today when we're doing baptisms. We have a lot of you that come that don't usually come to church. Maybe you're not a follower of Jesus, but you come, uh, you come to see. You come to see what's happening. 
You're really interested in what's going on. So you're interested in spiritual things, but you're not following Jesus. Now, I want to tell you, chair one is not a bad chair. You, you don't want to stay there forever, all right? but everybody starts in chair one. And we have chair one people in our church, and we have chair one people that have been coming for a long time, and we always want to be a church that's welcoming to people in chair one. We want to make sure that we're teaching the message in a way that is biblically based, but it's not churchy or irrelevant for people. And so uh, we want you to know, if you're a person that calls Genesis your home, we want you to know that any Sunday you can invite your friends or your neighbors to come to Genesis, and you won't have to say... It's usually not like that, like after the service. That's like our goal, all right, is to not have to have you make excuses for our service to your non-believing friends and neighbors. Um, chair one is not a bad chair, but you don't want to stay there forever. Uh, I, we all start in chair one. I started in chair one. I remember very clearly 20 years ago uh, sitting in a church and listening to this pastor preach and thinking, I don't believe half of what he says. And some of you are probably here today, and you're like the same way. Maybe it's less than half for you. But I kept coming and seeing, and I kept listening, and I started reading, and I started praying. And, like, here I am 20 years later, and I do this every weekend. And so the Lord has changed me because I, came, I started with come and see. That's what Andrew and John did. Uh, we don't know exactly what they talked about in the time they spent with Jesus, but we do know that when Andrew came out of that time, which was probably an afternoon, he said, we have found the Messiah. He was so excited, he went and told his brother Uh, that we have found the Messiah. And that's what we want to see happen too. We want to help people in chair one grow to know Jesus as the Messiah, as their Savior. And when someone someone reaches this point where they're ready to go from chair one to chair two, uh, Jesus, when he saw those people, he was ready to issue the second challenge. And challenge number two, chair two, is follow me. Um, We see Jesus do this with Philip first. When Philip first met Jesus, you could say that Philip was a chair one seeker. He was very interested in spiritual things, clearly wasn't a follower of Jesus yet. And uh, Jesus invited Philip to come and see. And then uh, when he came out of the wilderness um, or when he came back, uh, Jesus invited his followers to follow me. So chair two marks the time when somebody has trusted Christ and has become a follower of Jesus. They're ready to submit their life to him as the Lord of their life. Uh, We call this person a follower, and this is in our lives where God can really start to work. When you go from chair one to chair two, uh, this is where we start getting new things, all right? When you go to chair two, and this is the new, if you're taking notes this morning, chair two, you become a new person. In chair two, you become a new person. Now, please understand this move from chair one to chair two is a really big deal. All right, this, there are eternal implications for moving from chair one to chair two. And I think that's why we celebrate it so much in the church is because someone goes from being a seeker to a follower, and that has implications for where they spend eternity. It's where they cross through eternal life, and we become a new person. Second Corinthians 5 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, a new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. When you become a follower of Jesus, you're given new life. You become a new person. Your identity is rooted in Christ. Chair two is a chair of learning and growing in Christ. And and chair two is also where baptism should happen. So when you go from being a seeker to a follower, that's where you should get baptized. That's the move we're excited to celebrate today. So as I said, we've got 18 people across two campuses, uh, including six right here in this service that want to make that declaration today that I'm a follower of Jesus and I want my family, my friends, and my whole church to know it, that I'm a new creation. And so we're going to celebrate that right now. Are you guys ready to do that? All right.
We've, uh, you know, sang songs that make people stand up and dance. And we should do that. We should do, I mean, it's, it, you're becoming a new person. It's new life. When you go from chair one to chair two, it's important. Uh, but as I study the life and ministry of Jesus, I've become more and more convinced that the way we celebrate baptisms should be more like we celebrate high school graduations. You know, if you've been to a high school graduation or an open house lately, uh, you know that it's all about celebrating the graduate, right? We celebrate the graduate and we congratulate them for their hard work and their effort. But then what's the first question you always ask when you're done celebrating them? What are you going to do next? Where are you going to college? Where are you going to work? Where are you going to go to school? You know, there's always like there's this anticipation that, hey, it's great that you made that accomplishment. It's great that you uh, uh, were able to accomplish that. And graduation's a big deal. But there's an expectation that there's something coming next, right? And I think that's how we should celebrate baptisms. Because if you have, you know, some of you in the room are anticipating your high school graduation, and you can't wait for that day. It's going to be so exciting, and you, you can't wait till you're there. But some of us who are on the other side of that now, um, many of us by a few years, uh, we realize that it's not the end, right? Your high school graduation isn't the end. In fact, they call the ceremony the commencement, which means the beginning, right? Like it's the beginning of somebody, some, some other part of your life. In the same way, baptism should be the beginning of our journey with Christ. As we move from chair one to chair two, then we become followers of Christ. That's when God's spirit indwells us. It comes to live inside of us, and that's important. Um, but, but we see that in the life of Jesus, okay? In Jesus's life, the very first thing we do when he shows up at 30 years old as an adult, uh, he shows up at the Jordan River and he is baptized by John the Baptist. Everything else we see in the gospels comes after that. Like all of the ministry, all of the miracles, all of the teaching, it comes after Jesus is baptized. Now imagine for a minute that Jesus gets baptized and he goes, well, I'm glad I got that over with. And he goes back to his old life, right? What would happen? We wouldn't have any of the New Testament to encourage us or to teach us. You know, we wouldn't have had so many of the things that you and I have come to know and love about Jesus. And I believe that in the same way that God has something great for us uh, when we start to grow in chair two and are ready to make a new move. See, chair two is a great chair and it's important to get there. There's no doubt. But in a lot of ways... This chair is just a really comfortable chair. And we, uh, our eternity is secure. We're with Jesus. We know we're going to heaven. And it's easy just to sit and eat and sit and eat. You know, we just sit and get fed. And when you just sit and get fed, you get fat. And you become a fat Christian. And that's not Jesus' plan for your life. Jesus' plan for your life is not to sit in the same chair in chair two and, and fat and get fat. His chair is for you to do so much more and to get ready to move up to chair three. And some of the ways we do that, we do that. That's why we invite people to serve on a ministry team. Uh, it's a way that you can get connected in our church to other people, but it's also a way that you can use your gifts, your skills, your talents that God gave you to help grow his ministry. It's, it's the reason we encourage you to get in a connection group. You know, my wife and I have been at Genesis for 13 years, and we have been a part of a connection group since we got here. Uh, it's different people uh, uh, than we started with. It's different topics and different things that we've been studying. But, but I can tell you, until I came on staff, almost, uh, not almost all, but most of my spiritual growth, the bulk of my spiritual growth came from happening, happened in the connection group. It happened from connection groups and relationships I made inside of that. That's why, that's why we think it's important. It's not because we're measuring we want to get this many people in a connection group. It's because we know it's important for your growth. But, but being a kingdom worker is much more uh, than, uh, did I do chair three challenge? I, didn't, I don't think I did. So the chair three challenge that Jesus gave uh, his people, we see it in Matthew 4.19. 
In Matthew 4.19, Jesus invited some of his followers. He said, uh, follow me, and I will send you out to fish for people. So the chair three challenge is to fish for people. And so the reason we move from chair two, chair to two, to chair three is to learn to fish for people. And we call chair three person a kingdom worker. So when you become a kingdom worker, your focus is now not just on growing in your own faith, but it's in helping other people grow. Right? And so chair three is all about helping other people grow. It's a kingdom worker. It's, it's helping others grow in their faith. That a kingdom worker is somebody who's learning to help others become followers of Jesus, to find their way back to God. We know from a survey that we did uh, recently in the last year here at Genesis Church that most of you that attend here on a regular basis are chair two people. You're, you're a follower of Jesus. You've made Jesus the Lord of your life, um, but you haven't made that next step to chair three to become a kingdom worker. And that's why we're encouraging you to step into the family. But like I said, being a kingdom worker is much more than serving within the walls of the church or being part of the group. You know, being a kingdom worker means that you change your priorities to be Jesus's priorities. And so when you move from chair one to chair two, you become a new person. If you're taking notes, when you move to chair two to chair three, you get new priorities. That your priorities aren't your priorities anymore. Your priorities are now the priorities of Jesus. And it's, uh, you're helping others find new life in Christ. So I want to share with you a group that's doing that really well in our church right now. And it's our GSM. It's our high school students in GSM, our student ministry. Um, They spent the last year forming a ministry team, which whose sole purpose is to reach out to other students in their schools and uh, help them to follow Jesus. And I don't want you to just hear about it from me, though. I've got two of our students who are going to come up here and help me. Connor and Drew, you guys want to join me on stage right now. You give Connor and Drew a big hand. As they make their way up here, I want to tell you what they did this summer. Uh, These guys and many of our students went to a week-long camp together called MOVE. MOVE, the theme of the week of MOVE was becoming a kingdom worker. And then we had about 15 students. You're going to go over there? Okay, all right. I'm surrounded, man. This is weird. I'm afraid of you. I knew you when you were this big. Um, You're not that big anymore. Uh, then they spent another week. We had 17 students from Genesis spend a week at Spring Hill Camp over at our Noblesville campus investing in the lives of kindergarten through fourth graders. I don't know how much patience you have with your life, but I could not spend a week with, of my life with kindergarten through fourth graders. And so um, God bless them for that. But I want to ask Connor and Drew a couple of questions about what they did this summer. And I want to just ask you, I'll start with you, Drew. Why did you decide to serve at Spring Hill? So I decided to serve at Spring Hill because um, I made the commitment over the summer to go into ministry. So I thought that would be a great first step. And uh, one thing that we talked about in our briefing for the week was we wanted to plant the seed in the children, the, so the, the seed of uh, the Father in Christ. So we were going to do that and then cultivate that just like a farmer would plant the seed and then cultivate it so the plant could grow and bear much fruit, which is, yeah. yeah. So we're going to talk about that here in a minute, about bearing much fruit. And, and one of the things that, um, that Spring Hill, uh, who runs camps all over the state of Indiana and Michigan and a lot of other places, uh, they were so impressed by Genesis Church. They talked about the number of counselors in training or CITs that we had and the way that we were able to host them, that Genesis did a, just did a bang-up job with Spring Hill Camps. And we had over 100 kids who were impacted by the work that Drew and Connor did uh, this summer. So, Connor, I want to ask you, uh, tell me what you learned from MOVE uh, when you guys went to that camp. Okay, yeah. Um, oh, hey, oh. Um, <laughs> this may take a little longer than the last service. 
I'm going to use the chairs this time. But um, so at Move, we talk. Whoa, okay. Um, at Move, we talk about like disciple making and what it means to be a kingdom worker. And for five things, we talk about our kingdom workers are loved, kingdom workers are rescued, kingdom workers are united, they're changed, and then they're sent. And in those things, like what stuck out to me the most was changed because going into Move, I like. I worked at Spring Hill this summer, like, full-time, so I totally thought I was in Chair 3. So I was, like, going into move, like, no worries, I'm in Chair 3. Like, what are they going to teach me? And then at move, it was like, no, you're not in Chair 3. And I was like, actually, I spend all day with children pouring into them. I'm in Chair 3. And it was like, <laughs> God was like, but do you know the one who saved your soul? Like, do you know me personally? And I was like, oh, okay, well... <laughs> I'll hang out here for a minute, and, like, that truly did change me, and, like, after move, I was, like, relentlessly pursuing Christ, and now have been, like, changed so much, and just to see, like, what I think is so cool about this, like, those five things, is they're not only for kingdom workers, like, this is what it means to be a Christian, like, you are loved by God, and through his love, you're now rescued from your sins, and united with Christ, and when you're united with Christ, you change, and then when you change, you're now sent out to go and tell other people this good news. And the coolest part is that it starts with you are loved, and, like, everybody is loved. So everybody can be a kingdom worker if they embrace that love and just let Christ rescue them. So that's, like, what I learned. And You guys want to just finish up for me? Why? So tell me what it means to you now. What's it mean to you now to be a kingdom worker? Um, really, just like what I said, like to be a Christian, you're called to be a kingdom worker. So it is that process, but it's also like the hardest part for me was being changed and like letting God into my heart to like really change me. Like before I had said, yeah, you know, you can like change this about me, but I kind of like the way I am in this aspect. So I'm going to stay like this. Um, but then like letting him change me, the fullness and joy, like I find in life and it's just incredible. And now like, I'm not doing it because I feel called, like I have to go do this. This is what Jesus tells me to do. But there's like an outflow of love and joy coming from me that I like can't help, but share with others. And like, to me, that's what it means to be a kingdom worker is like have Christ flowing out of you. Cause it's just like uncontainable. That's cool. How about you, Drew? What's, what's it mean for you to be a kingdom worker? That's, that's awesome. Can you do better than that? No, I'm just kidding. Wow. Thanks, thanks Steve. Um, so um, to me, being a kingdom worker is um, just making sure that all your relationships with all your friends are Christ-centered and that you're pouring into them and you're pouring in just the people around you, whether that be coworkers, friends of yours, just people around you. Also, it also to me, means to uh, walk as Jesus walked and follow the guidelines that he set up for us and follow the path that he walked and bear much fruit, which goes into chair four. What a great segue, Andrew. Thank you very much for that. Can you guys help me or thank my friends, Drew and Connor? You guys are awesome. They are, the students at this church are teaching me what it means to be disciple makers. And it's so incredible to see. I, I believe it's God's desire for all of us to fish for people. Now, you may think, like, all my friends are heathens. Take it slow, you know. So um, you may think that, like, 
your, your friends are never going to come to Christ, and they won't unless you reach them. You know, somebody's got to reach out. I, I just amazing to hear Ashley and Gabby's stories in particular as we stood up here and then several in the first service where they've got like this whole crew of friends around him who have been investing in them and investing in them and investing in them. And finally, and like none of those friends probably knew if they were going to be the one that was going to win them for Christ, but they're all being kingdom workers around them. And it's so incredible to see this community of people who's investing in our young people. And we want to come alongside you Genesis Church wants to come alongside you and help you be a kingdom worker as as well. In fact, we're so committed to that that we are starting a brand new gathering on Tuesday nights, one Tuesday night a month, and it's only for people who are investing in other people. It's only for people who are already uh, have a chair one person in your life. You want to become a kingdom worker, and so it's called Multiply. Uh, It's coming up. Our first gathering is on Tuesday night, September 27th. There's information on the app. There's information on our website. You can find it there. Um, but we want to help our Chair 2 followers turn into Chair 3 kingdom workers. But as great as Chair 3 is, it's not the end. You can see there are four chairs up here. So Chair 3 is awesome, but it's not the end. After Jesus trained his followers to be kingdom workers, he issued one more challenge. He said uh, in John 15, the challenge number four was go and bear fruit. Go and bear fruit. Near the end of his life, John chapter 15, John is walking. He's on his way to the Garden of Gethsemane where he's going to be arrested and tried, and crucified. And he's walking uh, with his followers, and he says, this is to my Father's glory, John 15, 8. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. In other words, Jesus said, how can you show that you're a disciple of mine? Well, you're going to bear much fruit. As, as Drew said, you're going to go bear much fruit, and that's his goal. So what's new in chair four? If chair two is new person, and chair three is new priorities, chair four, you get a new purpose. You get a new purpose with your life. That's what Jesus wants to do uh, through you, through me, and through our church. I don't know if you know this, but the church is you, right? You know that. Like the church, our staff isn't going to be able to do much. It's the church, the people in the church. And I think, I believe that's what Jesus wants to do with our church. He, He wants to turn the world upside down with us. He wants to use us to make disciples. So a chair four person is a proven disciple maker. If a chair two person is growing in their faith and a chair three person is helping others grow in their faith, a chair four person is committed to reproducing this whole process in other people. It's, it's someone who knows how to make disciples. Uh, you're focused on reproducing this process of disciple making in someone that you're mentoring. In fact, Dan Spader, uh, the guy who wrote the book for chair discipling, says you can't be a chair four disciple maker unless you've made a disciple who's made a disciple. That kind of raises the bar on that. Uh, I tell you who's doing this really well, and we saw a great example of it today, is Young Life, the ministry of Young Life. And uh, we've got um, you know, two of our people, I think, in this service were, uh, that were baptized were from Young Life. We had uh, five, four or five, and the four in the first service that were uh, from Young Life. And um, just to see how the leaders, the volunteer leaders in most cases, invest in middle school students who then come to know Christ, and then when they become high school students, they start leading middle school students. You see this, like people becoming spiritual parents. And we've got young life leaders in the room here. I know Corbin's here, and Sarah's here, and Joe's here, and uh, Mary Ellen's here, and I don't know who else is here, but we've got a lot of young life leaders. And these men and women, like, are dedicating their life. They're busy, and they're dedicating their life to helping students grow and make disciples of other students. And it's just such a great model for us to follow as a church. Seeker, follower, kingdom worker, disciple maker. And as you hear that, I wonder if you're thinking to yourself, I wonder what chair I'm in. 
Like, have you placed yourself in a chair? You know, maybe you, you don't know Jesus yet. You haven't made that commitment to make him the Lord of your life, and you're in chair one. That's great. Come and see. Keep coming. Uh, but Jesus is going to offer, he's going to issue a challenge. He's going to challenge you to get into chair two by saying, follow me. And if you answer that, you're going to be a chair two person, and you can grow and mature in your faith. You can follow him, but then eventually he's going to say, hey, I'll help you to fish for men. Now remember, Jesus says, I will teach you to fish for men. I will make you a fisher of people. It's a very intentional process, but you've got to follow him first. God wants to do incredible things through you. Now, a word of warning as we wrap up. Uh, Disciple-making is a very relational process. It's all about investing in people you know. The good news about relational processes is everybody can do it. We all have a friend. We all have somebody in our life who could grow in their faith with Jesus, right? And so anybody can do it. It's relational. That's the good news. The bad news is it's darn hard work. And it's not always going to work out like you think. And sometimes you're going to feel like a failure. And sometimes the people that you're investing in are going to backslide. And you're going to want to give up. I know that because it's happened to me. Uh, We talk about it as our staff. Our staff has people they're investing in, and we see them backslide, and we get frustrated, and we want to give up. And and many people in the leadership of this church have people that they're investing in, and they think, you know what, I just maybe it's not the right time. Maybe it's not the right person. You're going to want to give up. But you can't give up. It's a long process. Jesus had three and a half years and basically made 12 disciples, one of which didn't work out very well, right? So it's a long process. Uh, I I had a chance a uh, a couple years ago to tour Beck's, um, Beck's up the seeds up in Arcadia, and they showed us uh, some plants that they were particularly excited about. Actually, Amy is here in the room. Amy was with me on that trip. Uh, but uh, we got to see some, this one hybrid that they were particularly excited about because it's uh, uh, disease-resistant and pest-resistant. And they said, in three to four years, we should be able to get this to market. And I'm like, three to four years? I was a manufacturing guy. I was like, can't you put more people on it? Can't you get more equipment? Can't you do? When they, they started to explain the process, like we, we have one seed. We start with one seed, and we grow a corn plant. And then we take that seed and we go to, to plant it again. But we can't plant it here in Indiana because then the growing season's over. So we have to send it down to Brazil. And we grow a crop in Brazil in a small field. And then we have to harvest all that seed. Then we bring it back to Indiana and plant it in a field. And then we have to harvest all that seed. And then go back and forth for about three or four years until they have enough to start selling. And I realized that, man, this is why Jesus used so many agricultural references. It wasn't just because they were an agricultural society. It's because it really makes sense. This is a long process, and we don't have much control over the outcome. It takes time. It can be a process. But I firmly believe that God wants to do a new thing in you. And so think about that. What chair are you in today? And what's your next move? Are you, do you need to become a new person? Do you need to get new priorities? Uh, do you need to have a new purpose for your life? God wants to do a new thing in you. Francis Chan, uh, author, pastor, and great uh, mentor of mine through video and books, uh, says, Jesus said, make disciples, so I don't want to make excuses. You know, what's new with you? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I'm so thankful uh, that you give us the model of Jesus Because when you said go make disciples uh, without a plan, we would be lost without you. And so thank you for that. Thank you for uh, six people today, uh, actually 18 people today across both campuses who stood up here and proclaimed, I want to follow you for the rest of my life. What a great blessing to be a part of that movement. Lord, I do pray that you would use them to start a movement, that you would give them their next step, that you would help all of us to see that you have something new for us in store. God, we love you. We want to do new things. We want to see you do new things too. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
Have a great week, everybody, and we'll see you next Sunday. Thanks for coming today.